Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls. joined us ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel, uh, how's it going this week? It's snowing. So it is that's snowing. how. That's how it's going. Um, I'm not looking forward to the snow. Um, my partner was going to go get us uh, some brews to go on Saturday. Uh, Tacoma's uh, Beer and Cider Festival is just doing like a to-go mm-hmm. uh, box of samplers. Uh, for Norris is going to pick it up instead. So that's something we're looking forward to. She also planned some sort of other surprise for Saturday. I don't know what it is, but it's getting delivered. So okay, That's yeah, exciting. yeah. So hopefully it still gets delivered because I think the snow is supposed to be pretty bad by then, and we're not really super equipped to deal with that. Yeah, it's supposed to be, um, but up by us, it's um, in the like single digits and and you know negatives with wind chill, um, and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be up to like the twenties. Like next week sometime, which break is, out the swimsuits. I know, right? That's like hoodie and shorts weather in in you know the Midwest. So that's very exciting. Um, I got to take my violin into the shop after like waiting for them to return my calls for over two weeks. Uh, so that was that was very exciting. But I found a parking space right away. Nothing like a pandemic to open up a few street parking spots in downtown <laughs> Chicago. Not a lot, but enough. So that I could pay seven dollars in parking instead of twenty dollars in parking. That's good. I I can appreciate that. That's thirteen dollars you can spend on a latte. Well, it's thirteen dollars I spent instead on Indian food because uh, I oh, wanted to get a fancy sandwich. But the fancy sandwich place I usually go to when I'm down at uh, downtown drinking my violin and um, is closed because of COVID. So, uh, the it, so I was like, oh no, fancy sandwich. I'm gonna order way too much Indian food, and so I did. It was delicious. Uh, so that was that was my today. Uh, we have a bunch of news here because uh, it's TCAs again, and also because like Twitter just wouldn't stop the other day. Um, so uh, we're gonna touch on some of it. Uh, just a brief uh, like a, a brief bit of TCAs news, not a lot, just a little. But um, the first thing we have to start with is, of course, the passing of another acting legend. Christopher Plummer uh, died this past week. He was 91. And um, who would have thought, I don't know, five years ago, that it'd be like, Christopher Plummer, everybody paid tribute with, like, the him, you know, the Von Trapp tearing down the Nazi flag thing. <laughs> like, yeah, right, yeah. Like, uh, like obviously, Christopher Plummer's amazing and has been great for so very long. But, the like, the resurgence of, you know, his popularity, his, his uh, the, the Christopher Plummer meme game. Not his, I, he, I don't think he was doing it, but um, I would not have anticipated that, you know, being what it was. Um a few years back, but uh, I will say I always think of him more as a film guy than a TV guy. Uh, goodness knows uh, he was doing some really terrific work right up until like the last you know couple of years. Uh, Knives Out is of course a recent fave. Do you have any Christopher Plummer roles that you go right to? Even though I don't really like the sound of music, I naturally think of him in the sound of music. Um, mm-hmm. As a number of people pointed out on Twitter, the the first thirst trap. Uh-huh. um they ever experienced um i do really 
uh, we actually just recently watched a um, Canadian heist comedy called um, The Silent Partner, um, in which he plays a bank robber. Um, and he is great in that as well. Elliot Gould's in it too. And it's made in like the mid to late seventies back when Elliot Gould was the sex symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you got to deal with that part of it too. Um, the <laughs> Gould does look very good in that. Um, but no, like you, I definitely think of him more as, as a film actor, but he did also have a really extensive television filmography and yeah, it's just, I'm sad about it. Um, it didn't hit as hard as some of the others, but it's still, it's still, it's still a loss. And he was active, like, right until the end, so. Yeah, I didn't watch um, more than a couple episodes of the, what's that, was it Arrival or Departures or the one with the plane disappearing and, like, with Archie Punjabi, and uh, he was, like, the one who ropes her back in, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I always, you know, again, that's the thing with these these people we've been, you know, memorializing the last few episodes is, like, always a good performance. Every single time, um, you're not you're never going to see a bad Christopher Plummer performance. And of course, like one of like one of my students right now is playing um, Liebes Lead by Chrysler, which is a really popular like short piece for violin. Um, and it's a landler. It's, it's always like tempo to landler. And they're always like, what's a landler? I'm like, well, have you seen The Sound of Music? No. OK, we're going to take three minutes of lesson time and we're going to watch Maria dance with the captain because this is a landler. And this is what like the piece should sound like as far as tempo and style of dance. And also, isn't it just such a lovely scene? Isn't that just such a lovely movie? I have my problems with The Sound of Music, and as I do with pretty much everything Rajan Hammerstein, but um, he is not part of the problem. He is terrific, of course, as is, you know, the the magnificent Julie Andrews. So, uh, yeah, what what a terrific um, presence on our screens. So, another one... Dust off Knives Out, dust off Sound of Music, dust off any of his other many, 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 many roles and enjoy, uh, you know, some of what we get to celebrate and, and keep with us of Christopher Plummer. Um, our ne- next segment here, the news is TCAs. And so we got a not surprising and somewhat disappointing and somewhat, mm, that feels right, uh, bit of news here, which is Brooklyn Nine-Nine will be ending after the next season, which will be the eighth season. There's going to have 10 episodes, but they're going to delay the start even more than they already have um, because they were they wanted to reapproach like their writing and how they were going to do in this next season after, you know, obviously with COVID, but also with all of the BLM, Black Lives Matter protests and, uh, you know, this increased awareness around police brutality and um and just systemic racism in the country but but very specifically of course for brooklyn 99 as it intersects with this is a show about uh, you know police officers uh so uh i am not surprised i still want the they all work for the post office now <laughs> spin off <laughs> um what do you have any thoughts on on 99 no i agree with you and some of the other sentiment i saw which was it feels right um, to do this in terms of both delaying it, but also ending it. I think that that was probably the smartest choice that they could probably make. Um, and so, and given the way that that cast in particular is very aware of everything that I, that it just makes sense to me. So I, I saw it and I was sad, but I was also like, yeah, no, that tracks that this is the correct decision for everyone I think involved to make. So 
Got yeah. It. Yep. Um, some new shows coming. Uh, this is, I was just so happy. I was so happy for, um, for Josh Beagle, for the show Josh Beagle, uh, on my feed when this news broke, because he has literally been saying for like maybe a decade at this point on Twitter, certainly years about whenever anybody's like, Oh, what property should, you know, that book property should be adapted. That hasn't been adapted. What's like an untapped, you know, where they'll be like, how has nobody made a live action Lord of the Rings? How has nobody made? He's always like Redwall. Redwall. How has nobody made a Redwall show? Are you kidding me? Those books are amazing. There's so much there. And now, not only is there a Redwall animated show coming, it's going to be at Netflix, which is not all that thrilling for me. It's going to be made by Patrick McHale, who, if you don't know who that, that name, you know Over the Garden Wall if you listen to this podcast. And so I'm very excited at the notion of Patrick McHale uh, making Redwall. So it's still in the early stages, as far as I'm aware. but um, you know, so who knows what will happen, but I've been eagerly anticipating his next project um, for a long time. So uh, this could be really cool. What do you think? Uh, I'm excited about Patrick McHale getting work and getting Netflix money. Here's where I admit something really kind of weird. I have never seen Redwall and I have never read Redwall or anything within the Redwall um, like series. So I know it's deeply beloved by any number of people. I have absolutely no connection to this property whatsoever. So mostly my interest is Patrick McHale is bald and hopefully he will prevent Netflix from doing it in Netflix's really lousy CG animation style because it's bad. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Um, so that's, that's my, that's my hope. And this is going to be a much larger like property. It's going to be a television series. It's going to have a couple of movies associated with it as well. Uh, so this is going to be a, this is a big investment, uh, from Netflix that they're planning out anyway, but I'm glad Mikhail is overseeing this for now. And I hope he can bring his aesthetic sense to, uh, this franchise that a lot of people really love. Um, and maybe this will convince me to read one of the books. Listeners, you can't see me, but I've got a stupid, silly grin on my face because I'm so excited for you, Noel. Uh, granted, I haven't read any of these books in a very long time, but I'm so excited for you because should you choose to undertake this journey, I think you will have so much fun with Redwall. It's awesome, is what I remember. Will Will I have fun with the racism that's in it? From my uh, understanding- see, I don't remember that part. Is that is it bad? It could very easily be really, really bad. Yeah, I was I was seeing a couple of discussions about it. It was whether or not it was one of those things of like we we've substituted some rodents or some varmints to be this particular race kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and I don't I didn't wasn't following it entirely, um, but I was just like, I mean, this all tracks. When this was written, this all tracks. Mm-hmm. So, um, but something to remedy, hopefully, as opposed to some other Netflix adaptations that kind of went, eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I say, I do not remember, uh, a lot of specifics about it. I just remember really loving it as a kid and goodness knows we'll get a little to this later. Um, just cause I loved it when I was younger does not mean it is not problematic as fuck, uh, and, or, you know downright a real problem but there is a lot of good there is what i remember so if that is a big part of it which it very well may be not discounting any of that stuff um any you know uh then hopefully that's something that can be addressed and 
corrected and, you know, not, hopefully it's not so baked in, right, that it can't be right. uh, rectified. So we'll see what happens with with Redwall. Also big news that you are not very excited about, but I am and other people are. Clone High is back on HBO Max. It's getting two seasons. It's been renewed, like... I would not have anticipated that. I'm very excited. Uh, I don't. I don't love Clone High as much as a lot of people our age seem to. Uh, maybe because I watched it later. I didn't like watch it while it was on because I did not have cable at that point. But um, yeah, it, it's delightful and fun and silly, and I'm excited to see what that's going to bring. Um, also, it's just like a neat idea for what HBO Max wants to do. They're also going to do a new show about Velma uh, from Scooby Doo uh, with Mindy Kaling attached uh so there's they're they're doing some interesting into the catalog kind of projects as well as some new stuff so you know we'll see what hits what works but certainly having bringing back a lot of the creatives um in various capacities to to oversee this new these new seasons of clone high i think is promising um do you have any thoughts about either of these i'm interested in the velma show mainly because of maybe kaylin's involvement um but like not super interested um and this is also where i say i don't think i've ever watched a lot of clone high i think i've seen an episode of it Mm -hmm. and i think i thought it was fine um at the time so i'm very excited for other people who are very excited Mm -hmm. um our next bit of news here is not necessarily news on its own but it's lovely and fabulous so we're going to share it because we need some counterbalancing. Um, Pedro Pascal this week, uh, his sister came out uh, as trans um, in a cover shoot for a Colombian magazine that I have forgotten the name of, and I apologize. Uh, but yeah, so Lux Pascal came out, and Pedro Pascal was tweeting his support and love for his sister. Um, it was very lovely and beautiful to see. And it was a very welcome counterpoint to more terribleness from Gina Carano, who was, it was this, because it was the same day. <laughs> That that was happening, where she was tweeting really, really offensive, uh, uh, false equivalency of conservatives being persecuted with the Holocaust. So that was finally what it took for her to be officially not rehired. Like, I don't know that she was fired. She is not currently affiliated with Lucasfilm is what they have said. And there are no plans for her to be in the future. She was apparently supposed to be announced as like headlining one of their Star Wars shows um, back when they did their, their, you know, big thing in November. And then all of her horrible tweeting around then they were like, let's, let's not, let's not announce her. Let's just hold on that. And this was enough to finally get them to cut ties. So what that means for the character, who knows very easily she could, she cannot poochie off to her home planet because her home planet is Alderaan, but she can certainly (laughs) poochie off to a desk in the middle, like, you know, in the middle of a small town somewhere. And just like, no, we do not need to see that character. I, I, you know, I like the idea for the character. I like, you know, Cara Dune, like all of that. Like there's a lot of really good stuff there. Just not played by Gina Carano. So if that means we lose the character, I'm very much okay with that. Uh, and I don't think our listeners are going to feel this way, but in case any of them do, we, free speech means the government doesn't arrest you. Free speech doesn't mean you have to be hired when you say horrible things that will cost your, the, the people hiring you lots of money. 
That's not what, that's not the same thing as free speech. So yes, she has been air quotes canceled. And I'm very comfortable with that because words have meaning and there are consequences for your actions. And all that the, the, the first amendment protects is the ability of the person to speak without the government getting involved. So Disney is not yet the government. Not <laughs> so, yet, but soon. Not yet. Um, well, you know, some of those like company town laws that are trying company to be- towns. Yeah. yeah. Get that company script. <laughs> Any thoughts on this? Right. So I'm not surprised. Um, I like, like you, I'm like many people. I assumed that she was supposed to headline Rangers of the New Republic. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't announce anyone for that project, but it was very clear from the Mandalorian season two that that was going to be her show. And then they just kind of went, eh, we'll, 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 we'll get back to you on that. <laughs> um, and I, I imagine also it helps that Mandalorian's basically taking a year off as well. Um, so that gives them plenty of cover to do this, basically. Um, but also, and I hate being, you know, me, but I also think, wow, comparing comparing yourself to persecuted people involved in the Holocaust while working for a company that people routinely mention was founded by an anti-Semite. I just, mm-hmm. I just feel like that was probably the bridge too far. Um, yeah. So I just, yeah. Um, but no, it's great that it's happened. Actions have consequences. This is the free market at work. When you want a free market, this is, this is what happens. So um, marketplace of ideas, man. No one's <laughs> buying them. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with it. Um, and as much as you can enjoy a character on The Mandalorian, considering they're all pretty flat, um, Cara Dune was neat, but also is a role that can easily be recast, I feel like. It's not as if Carano, who I have enjoyed in plenty of things, yeah, um, is a compelling performer as an actor. Yeah. Um, She's a she compelling physical presence. Yes. Which is a different thing. Yeah. No, it's a totally different thing. It's the same thing I can apply to her performance in like Haywire, which again, it's a physical performance type deal. Acting wise, eh. so I'm okay with this. And this is a role, like I said, that can just be recast and I don't think you'd miss a beat. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think they will though, because that might dust up more controversy Yeah, and they will want to avoid that. So we'll see what happens. Um, and then our last bit of news here, and not a surprise to most people, uh, we've definitely talked about this before, is uh, today, this week in Joss Whedon is trash. Um, so Charisma Carpenter has come forward with uh, a statement about her experiences um, filming, uh, working on Buffy and also Angel. And there, you know, she's, there have been, she's talked about this in the past somewhat and sort of like, you know, kept vague. things vague, right? Uh, but there has been rumors for a long time that she was fired for getting pregnant. Um, uh, and that, that Joss got really upset when she was when she told them that she was pregnant. And uh, that's why he killed, uh, wrote her off, killed her off, that kind of stuff. And um, so she has come forward with a, like a, a two, like Insta, page kind of statement i recommend people go check it out if you are curious um alleging abusive toxic work environment um like he was calling her fat in front of people on the set when she was four months pregnant and weighed 126 pounds um yeah 
also, you know, plenty of other things, uh, but just like tried trying to pressure her to get an abortion, for example, and you know, all sorts of other fun, terrible things that should never happen to someone in a, in a workplace, let alone any other place, but certainly not in a workplace. Um, so this tracks with the previous allegations uh, of him abusing power and being a, just a piece of crap. Um, Amber Benson came forward uh, supporting her right away. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is trying to stay out of it, but as is her want. (laughs) Yeah. She, she has, you know, she's pretty private. Um, she's, and she has also made previous statements kind of like stepping around saying things, but I thought this was actually a pretty straightforward statement from her where she says like, I always want to be associated with Buffy, but I don't want to be associated with the name Joss Whedon forever. You know, like I I forever want to be associated with, with the character of Buffy Summers. I do not want to be associated forever with Joss Whedon. Um, And she stands in support of, of people who've been, uh, who've had to deal with abuse. So I think that's like, that to me is a pretty firm. Yep. (laughs) It's a strong statement from Sarah Michelle Geller. from literally anyone else. It's pretty weak. Uh huh. Um, but from Sarah Michelle Geller, that's about as strong a statement as you're going yeah. to get. Well, and what is also funny is that then Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, had a had like a like uh, tweeted out um, some, right after Gina Carano was getting fired because he's a massive Star Wars guy. Yes. Uh, he he tweeted out some like GIF thing celebrating about it. So like I was like, ooh, interesting double statements over there. <laughs> Um, Michelle Trachtenberg also came forward and was very supportive of Carpenter and both, both Benson and Michelle Trachtenberg specifically talked about it being a toxic set with this stuff that was not okay. Uh, Claire Kramer, who played Glory, uh, also, you know, supported them. Uh, the only, uh, male actor on the show that I've seen a statement from, uh, so far as James Leary, who played Clem, who, if you don't remember Clem, he's the, the demon playing kitten poker. And uh, there's also uh, been something, uh, Anthony Stewart Head, who played Giles, was asked about it and talked in an interview, but mostly like uh, saying, you know, he's really upset and, and or disheartened or something like that, like really gutted to hear this, hear these allegations. And he, like, because that was just so, he is so far from his experience. He remembered it being such a positive uh, family, like kind of energy and experience on set. And, you know, why I, he feels terrible that these people didn't feel like they could come to him and tell them what he was experiencing, they were experiencing and all this stuff. And he, he's very specific to say he doesn't, he's not saying this stuff didn't happen. Yeah. Just that like, he wasn't aware of it at the time and he feels terrible that they were dealing with this kind of thing. And it's like, well, Tony, <laughs> if immediately, like when one person says something, you've got, you know, you're like three of your other four lead <laughs> Uh, women on the show all being like, yup, <laughs> that's some wishful, you know, blind, like blinders up, which, you know, we're all very capable of, right? You were just yes. talking about Redwall, right? And, and, you know, like this other racial problems in some of the writing on, in Redwall that I do not remember because I'm white and a lot of stuff is, you know, especially is, you know, reading things as a kid and not thinking about that context and of being aware. It's easy to just not see stuff if you're not looking for it and you haven't been, you know, made aware that you need to. Um, so, you know, but apparently when I was looking around to see like who else, I heard also one writer from Angel 
he said something, but I couldn't mm-hmm. find who it was. Um, but apparently, like, all the other leading men on Buffy are also trash. <laughs> yeah, no, they all have a... I, and I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware oh. that there are, like, sexual harassment and assault allegations. Well, uh, specifically harassment allegations against David Boreanaz. Um, him flashing people all the time on the set of Buffy, but, like, there are, like, charges and, and like, against him from Bones. Uh, Nathan Fillion, of course, is Firefly, is apparently also hot garbage, uh, according to allegations. It's certainly how um, everything happened over on Castle with Stan yes. and Um And then, I was, I was, like, I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, that explains the rookie. That makes sense. It's like, yeah, that tracks. Okay. And um, some other just, you know. Nicholas Brendan and Domestic yep. violence. Domestic yeah, violence. So. Yep. And, uh, yeah, there's others. I mean, apparently uh, James Marsters wrote a super creepy song about uh, Michelle Trachtenberg when she was 16. That's, like, very jail baby. Um, so, you know. Now he, though I will say James Marsters has, of course, uh, spoken, you know, many times about uh, being, about abuse on the set of, uh, Buffy surround like specifically around uh the there was a there's a rape scene that he did not want to do uh Sarah Michelle Geller did not want to do and that they made them do and was really traumatizing specifically for him to film um and she hated doing it too uh and just though there's like it, if you look look into that you'll see it was just the kind of thing that like if you weren't sure why we need intimacy coordinators, like why that's a good idea, here's a prime example. When the actor talks about going home and sobbing in a ball in the shower for like the rest of the day because it was so traumatizing to film. Like, yeah. So, so like there, this is not nothing new, but I, of course, very, very glad that Chris Carpenter felt uh, able to come forward and talk about her experiences. And some, you know, Michelle Trachtenberg also talked about like now as a 35 year old, you know, 20 years later, it feels like she can actually, you know, say some of the things that she experienced as a teenager on that set and, um, or just, or just acknowledge that it was messed up. So good for them. And of course, I should also specify that Chris Carpenter very specifically came forward to talk about this stuff because she's standing in support with Ray Fisher over, you know, his allegations against Whedon on the, the, the set of the Justice League yes. movie and all of that. So yeah, certainly... I hashtag I stand with uh, Ray Fisher, Chris McCarpenter, all these different people coming forward. So very, very glad to see more of uh, an awareness with because like some of the stuff had been like kind of hinted at or like, but like especially these, these things around these other um, men in the Buffy cast where like I don't spend a lot of time in that online fandom, and you kind of have to dig to find that stuff. It's like a known secret. Like, a, a very well-known thing if you're in that circle, but if you kind of just dip in and out, it's very easy to miss. Yeah. At least it was for me. So I appreciated some, like, more of the conversations that were happening around that, and I appreciate Chris McCarpenter specifically talking, talking about her experiences as a pregnant woman on this set and, and how she was treated. Um, there were also, by the way, rumblings about how Scarlett Johansson was treated as a pregnant woman filming uh, some of the stuff with, uh, with Whedon as well, um, but... Nothing specific because you know you know Marvel's got that shit locked down. Um, we're not going to hear anything about any potential improprieties over there. But uh, any any other thoughts on this? Nope. You said it all very well. I'll say his new show's coming out though. He, he he's not involved anymore. Uh, the trailer is out, and the trailer 
just looks insufferable. But it has Laura Donnelly as the lead, and she's really, really good, fresh off of her Tony nomination last year. Um, so I may watch a little bit of it, but it's just so like Paint by Numbers Whedon that even though he's not involved anymore, he's not the showrunner anymore, it still may be a little rough for me. We'll see if I see if I dive in when that premieres. Um, this week, at the end of the show, we're going to be talking about Small Axe Mangrove, which is the first, and we'll get into this, but it's the first TV movie in a season of five TV movies, unless you think they're all independently films. And different awards, uh, like committees and uh, nominating committees, have felt differently about this. Um, but anyways, it aired on the BBC. We're counting it for the Televerse. We're going to talk about Mangrove in our spotlight section. Um, so first, we have our week in TV, though. We're going to take a break, listen to a little music from the Amber Ruffin Show, because we demand music from the Amber Ruffin Show. And uh, we'll be right back with our week in TV. I've been doing dirt since dirt was a thing one could do. Been skipping out on bills, getting on my thrills. I'm handing out IOUs. I've been hyping up the crazies to the point of insurrection. And I must confess, I'm a mess. I'm only doing it to get your attention. Take every word, believe what you heard. Only jail time will do. was again the dulcet tones of <laughs> amber ruffin over on the amber ruffin show uh this week we're going to talk about that episode first then noel has a few thoughts on zoe's extraordinary playlist zoe's extraordinary reckoning uh i'll have a few quick thoughts on drag race uk morning glory before we talk discomentary on the regular drag race uh u.s i watched the new york times presents framing britney spears so i'll have a few thoughts on that and noel caught up with the of course the black lightning premiere the book of reconstruction chapter one and we'll round things out with wandavision on a very special episode dot 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 so first up is the amber ruffin show and i just wanted to include this so that we could specifically mention <laughs> like yeah i mean but but like a whole minute a whole minute of football talk where's the where's the catchy song the listeners are going to be the viewers are going to be livid no, livid. <laughs> no, it was very, it was very good, and it was very sweet, and I liked how they um, like dealt with that. So I thought that was very, I thought that was very funny. It wasn't as funny as the long walk sketch. Ah, oh, so which good. Was my one of my favorite things I watched this week. Um, I just when they were just like a long walk, I just went, oh, are they going to do it? Are they going to do a long walk for a joke? Let's let's see. And they're they're walking in front of the green screen. There's a story. There's distractions. They're back to the story, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yeah, no, there's a punchline right at the end, and it was it was very good. Listeners, I tried to have Kate choose that punchline as the song, <laughs> um, but it did not happen. But I I was very amused by it, and it, it it personally, as a fan of long walks for jokes, it made me very happy. <laughs> I feel like they've done that once before. I could be wrong. If they have, I have forgotten about it, which makes me sad. But um, 
either way, uh, it was it was a delightful segment. Uh, hopefully, it's, it comes back at the various points uh, because you know it. <laughs> Just the delivery is very good. So Terry Davis, you know, chef's kiss, excellent delivery, um, super fun. Always enjoy the Amber Ruffin show. Uh, next up is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Zoe's Extraordinary Reckoning. Unfortunately, I am a episode behind. Um, d- did you have thoughts on this one? And also, you know, because you also kind of caught up. Um, any thoughts on the previous episodes of this season? So I don't really have a lot on the previous episode of this. Um, but I will say that I think that Extraordinary Reckoning is very good. Um, my partner and I um, watched it and she made the point that, and I agree with her, is that this episode is a really well done version of exploring racial conversations within a workplace. Um, probably better than anything else she or I have seen. Um, and this includes like some of the Superstore stuff, which normally does a really good job, but this is another notch above that, I think. Um, the episode does a lot of work to make sure that Zoe is never a savior, and in fact, it undercuts her savior moment uh, comedically, but it still undercuts it uh, so that she's not the one that solves the problem. Um, only characters of color have songs in this episode, um, and it is generally a really strong, surprising episode, and in particular, um, it's a big showcase for um, John Clarence Stewart, who plays Simon. Um, he's probably the best he's been on the show, and I feel like his performance, I think, has just kind of been up and down, but this is, like, rock-solid type stuff here from him, and he gave an interview with, um, Megan Vick over at tvguide.com that I encourage folks to uh, read about, and he talks about the process of getting this episode made, um, including they started figuring it out over the summer, and then he worked with the writer as well as they bought in a different choreographer for this episode as well and figuring out everything uh, about what this needed to be and how it needed to look. So I think it's a really sharp episode. Um, it's funny. It's sad. It feels very real to conversations um, that we've all been thinking about, if not actually having so I think it's a really good episode and it's probably one of their strongest episodes, even if on like the Zoe level of like a lot of fun musical numbers, this is not that. Um, but the musical numbers, I think, also serve a really kind of strong purpose and they're very pointed in how they're deployed this year, this um, in this episode. So I cannot wait for you to watch it and I look forward to your thoughts on it. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. I don't want like the, you know... Woo! Funny episode, right? right. Like the last no. episode with like, uh, like Zoe's on drugs, and I was like, Star. I mean, like, Starships is great and all, though. I just keep it makes me want to rewatch. When did they do? I want to say they did it on Drag Race last season or something. I saw it somewhere, and or maybe it was like Legendary. I don't know I saw it in another context, and it was just way more fun and better. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad that this is a different tonal approach because that is appropriate, and I look forward to catching up with that episode. Um, next is Drag Race UK, Morning Glory, which is their improv challenge that they had to do over in UK where they had to do live reads for um, a morning show. And uh, so I think they had some prep and some cue cards so that they'd read the prompter and then also be comfortable riffing. It was a good um, a good challenge. There was some... some the mon- Oh, and, the, and the, the runway was Monster Mashup. Oh, so fun. they had to, to mash up two monsters. And some did better than others. But uh, it was another elimination people would be surprised by 
Yes. But more interestingly for me, it, it felt, it did feel, um, yeah, it felt justified, I think. But um, the episode ends with, we're shutting down, COVID. Back in a while. And apparently it's like seven months later is when they started filming again. So I'm really curious to see. They're going to do like a special following the queens during lockdown that I'm guessing similar to uh, what they did for we're here and what they did for um, the the drag race uh, Las Vegas uh, review show where they like are filming themselves and talking about their experiences and stuff. I mean, so so there's a special episode for that. And then, then the next episode is picking up after COVID. So uh, I am, or at least after that luck, that specific shutdown. So I am very intrigued because if I was on drag race and I was somebody like, like say, uh, Tia Coffee, who has been constantly getting read for my looks and my polish, and I, out of the blue, got a seven-month uh, hiatus, you best believe I'm I'm working on every one of those outfits, and I am getting my makeup game on point. So I'm really intrigued to see what happens. Um, like, Or maybe they made them leave all their wardrobe there. Who knows, right? Um, I'm really interested to see... Like, it's just, like, it's hopefully, hopefully will never be replicated. So it, it's a really specific and interesting uh, experience, like, or, or or just a wrinkle in a very familiar structure of a show, you know, since it's been going for so long. So I'm intrigued. We'll see what happens with that uh, next episode. Next is RuPaul's Drag Race and the Discomentary. And I'm curious how you felt about this, Noel, because after the last episode, which I really liked, this one I was like... Yeah, it's fine. I the the top queens was confusing to me. The bottom queens was confusing to me. The person who got eliminated, I didn't think should have even been in the bottom. Um, and not just because I stand, but also because none of these queens know how to dance disco. Even the ones who are the dancers were not great at dancing disco. Uh, so um. Yeah, I wanted so much more. I love disco too, so maybe that's part of it. But I wanted, I was just like watching Soul Train. <laughs> I just I put on YouTube and just watched a bunch of Soul Train to like cleanse the palate because I was like, this is not what disco. You're supposed to move your torso, right? You got to move those hips. You got to. It was like there were sticks. There were sticks from their shoulders to their waist, and I was like, you're moving your feet, right? You're moving your hands, right? But like, what? Why? Why no? Why why no groove? Why no groove thing? As in shake your... Um, I expect to not be good at disco, but, like, come on. I, I wanted either more choreography, like, better choreography uh, and more rehearsal time, or, uh, like, easier choreography, which, like, it's hard to get easier than some of those queens. Yeah. Um, and, like, just, like, less confusing editing, because I couldn't really even follow what's... I have... I was I was nonplussed. I was not impressed by this episode after being really impressed last time. What did you What did you think? Yeah, I didn't. This episode left virtually no impact on me. Um, I think that from an editing perspective, about what you were launched into, and I'll pick up that little stick is that the editing leads us to believe that everyone's generally pretty competent during the disc the discomentary in terms of their performances. So it makes it really difficult to go. I don't understand what the judges are doing. Um, well, yes, Tina's look and Tina's dancing is great, but that was like the big thing that I took away from that. That was it. That and, um, 
Um, Olivia looked really good as well. But that was it. Like, Candy's look was basic, but then it's just like Candy's looks are almost always kind of basic. Um, so and it's just like... Her dancing was bad and mix was just as bad. Yeah. And like, yeah. There just wasn't a... But everything makes it look pretty solid is the thing. So it very much feels like a... This was very important for the producers and Rue to do a disco-esque thing, and they wanted it to look good, so it looks good, as opposed to highlighting any flaws or anything along those ways, because it doesn't want to detract from its very broad satellite view of disco history and its important to queer culture. Um, so it didn't want to detract from that, so we don't get any like weird kerfuffles or fall-downs or just you didn't dance well. We didn't get any of that. Um, so that that was frustrating. Um, so that didn't leave me particularly impressed. Um, so I was interested in the idea of a little black dress runway, and I was generally pretty underwhelmed by the decisions made across the board there. How, having not read your recap of it, because I'm actually trying to avoid reading your recaps until we discuss them, um, how did you feel about the little black dress runway? It yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, like the, it was just there was there needed to be a lot more creativity, and the the thing and because it's just a little black dress, right? Right. So if you just come out and you look amazing in a straightforward little black dress, that like that's literally what it's there for. It's there to be simple, but you look great. But the trouble is. You look great. It's not interesting enough for RuPaul's Drag Race. So you have to do something else. And most of them didn't. And the ones who did weren't nearly as edgy and creative as they thought they were. So, like, like Candy's... We've seen that kind of thing before. I like the specificity of it being the Princess Diana little black dress, right? Like, there, like there was layers there. But I didn't get the, like, the paint thing all over the... It didn't track for me and the comic garçon thing is not as uh as clever at this point i mean it's still a good fashion reference don't get me wrong but like it's better than what some of the other ones did but um i thought that a mix thing really only worked for me because like out of drag he has talked about like what a important like how like his feelings like a feeling about his body has changed so dramatically since he was able to get top surgery and like how that is was really empowering and has opened up this whole other part of his drag where he's really comfortable uh getting out well she's really comfortable getting 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 her titties out um on the runway in drag right so like that allowed that runway to be more meaningful but otherwise it just is like okay i get what you're doing here you're doing the like what Valentina did, but that's its next level, and like oh, it's very clever. But it didn't, you know. Mix been doing quite a bit uh, of like you know relying on that body, and at this this point, I want something different and more interesting than just like let's see how small of a black dress you can do. Like it's funny and compared to the others, certainly, but it's not like. I think it was supposed to be like risque and like bold, and I'm sure, like as a like as a person on a human level, <laughs> going out on national TV with that tiny bit of fabric and that's it, like yeah, brave, a hundred percent. Don't get me wrong, but on a fashion level, I was just like, okay, I see what you're doing. That's fine. It's more interesting than say Olivia's look, which looked gorgeous. She looked amazing. But there's a reason that on the runway, they're like, we love your hair and we love your bag. 
I'm not going to say anything about your dress because <laughs> you're going to win. You know, like Tamisha's had some interesting things, but it's just a dress. Elliot, again, just a dress. Uh, Denali did something more fun, but again, just a dress. Like they're, they're just, it was, a, it was underwhelming. Now, if it had been a spectacular maxi challenge with, with a weaker runway, like you can get away with that. But, um, yeah, that was not. And it's interesting that, because that's been a common thing I've seen in different reactions that people feel like everybody seemed like they did well in the dance challenge. Because to me, it feels like, I was like, I, and I even, <laughs> I, like, I called over my parents who are in their, their early 60s. And I was like, okay, so you guys have actual connections to disco. Like they didn't go out to the discos dancing and everything. Sure. Um, that did. wasn't their scene. But like, they're like, they, they you know. They're familiar, right? They 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 know a disco dance, you know. They all this they live through they live through that era. And I was like, so I wanted you to tell me what you think of this. And they're like, well, I don't know. Like, that's not actually like disco. Yeah. But I mean, I guess they're doing a good job for that. But that's that's not what disco actually looks like. Um. So. And then we get to Tamisha being eliminated, and I thought she was one of the better <laughs> queens in the dancing person. Like, her her eyes, her face was not in it. Like, definitely she was thinking too much. Probably because she was doing, how can I do this dance sequence with a colostomy bag? I mean, come on! Any thoughts about Tamisha? Yeah, I think it really just reaffirmed that she didn't need to be here this season. Um... Mm-hmm given everything um and i am full agreement with her when they call her for all stars it's gonna be great yeah yeah is the thing like that that is how i feel about this um so i'm in full agreement with her when she comes back for all stars it hopefully will be lit um (laughs) but until then i'm just like yeah no you you just you had too many things going on that were preventing you from doing your draft basically, on a way that you were going to be really proud of. So I think that was coming into that ultimately, like, I'm kind of okay with it. Like, I don't want Candy to stick around because I don't really like most of Candy's Candy's looks, even though, again, like you were saying, I like the conceptualization of their idea of a little black dress, but everything with the grease paint and with the slick back hair of the paint, just, it didn't make any sense. It didn't, like, feel congealed as a concept. Um, and everything else about the runway, I'm in full agreement with you on in that I really like Mick's idea, but at the same time, Mick just did two pieces of fabric and we were already reading Joey J for not doing wigs in episode one. Um, and we've, I like Mick's looks, but at the same time, this was the easiest choice to make. Um, in terms of a little black dress. And that was the problem with all, I think, a lot of the conceptualizations of these were the easiest choices to make, or they were just really weird choices to make, like Rosé's tool sponge yeah. black dress, which... I, that also felt like a come to Garçon thing to me as well. Yeah. I was like, she's... And then, then I had to watch back, and like, no, she doesn't reference that. So she's not trying to do come to Garçon. No. She's is kind of instead just doing her tool runway again, but like in a slightly different, like, yeah. So it doesn't give yourself a neck. Yes. You have one. Right. Exactly. Um, and then I really like Utica's, but also like if you, as everyone pointed out, if you can't get the joke, then the joke doesn't work. 
Um, because unless you see that hook on the hat, but then you also see the earrings, which you can't because you're too far away. No one knows what you're doing. Um, and Michelle's face when she sees the hooks and realizes it is like, oh, that's really great. But I had to see all of that to get it. And that's a problem. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of an underwhelming episode of Drag Race. And that was very disappointing. Yeah. Um, I'm not, to tease the next one, the next one is the stand-up, or, or not the stand-up, it's, it's the improv challenge. Right. Uh, I, I, we're going to have similar conversations about okay. the judging next time. Because the people I thought were the funniest are not in the top. And I, I, I have to, I have to think some more before yeah. I write it up because I like comedy is subjective and all. Yes, but well, I feel the narrative. I feel the narrative of a se- of the season that they're trying to build towards, and uh, the palette rebels. At this point, so. I kind of feel sorry for Denali for getting the Jan. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's rough watching it happen again. Um, yeah, just Denali's looks have been very consistent. Not necessarily bold or anything, but consistent. Um, but it's just rough watching Denali get jammed. Which, but I'm glad that we have a verb for this now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like I would have thought Rosé was going to get jammed. Yeah. But exactly, I thought so too. It's Denali. It's Denali. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, our, our next episode here is the New York Times presents Framing Britney Spears, which is about an hour, fifteen minute long uh, documentary. Uh, made by New York Times. It's is put out in conjunction with FX and FX on Hulu, so you guys can watch it on Hulu. It is episode six of the New York Times Presents. This has been the documentary about the Free Britney movement that's been getting a lot of buzz this past week. People are, are seeking it out. And just talking about, you know, it's again another one of these uh maligned women of the nineties where you like look at back and you're like, oh, oh Diane Sawyer, oh, what are you saying? Like the first lady of, uh, I want to say, of a New England state, I don't remember which one, so I won't say, uh, said in an interview that if she had the opportunity to shoot Britney Spears, she would, because Britney Spears makes it hard for her to raise her daughter. And Diane Sawyer, you, you acted as if that was rational and understandable. Meanwhile, Britney Spears is saying, that's so mean. That's really bad. That's really horrible. And you're just like, well, you know, because it's hard being a mom. It's like, wow. So so it, it's good. Uh, like, it's well constructed to kind of people who don't remember the horrifying misogyny of the time. Like, it's all over the place. And then there's certainly discussion around mental health and, uh, you know, the whole conserva- conservator um system in the country. I wanted a lot more from this, though, based on what people were saying um, and the, the, all the hype around it. I expected it to be a lot more compelling than it was. It it was, I mean, it's solid. And certainly, if you don't know anything about the hashtag Free Britney movement, um, this may be eye-opening for you. Uh, if you weren't aware of the Justin Timberlake like theme for the, the week, <laughs> famous men being trash. Justin Timberlake is trash. He's great. You know, like, if you weren't sure about, you know, basically how, how he handled the media around after he and Britney broke up, if you didn't already know he was bad news from how he handled everything around the Super Bowl and Janet Jackson and, uh, and threw her under the bus then. And, you know, like, okay, there you go. Here's another example. But, um, I, yeah, I thought it was interesting, but had been massively overhyped for me, not necessarily by critics, but just about 
people talking about it on Twitter. So I wouldn't say, if, if you're familiar with the topics, I don't think it's essential viewing. If you are unfamiliar, you may be curious. Um, and it's certainly a pop culture thing that is uh, starting some some worthwhile conversations and uh, certainly like worth you know, it's it's an easy way to get caught up and get up to speed on it. Certainly, you can watch it while you're doing something else. Um, it's that kind of that kind of a thing. But yeah, Britney Spears has had a rough go of it for quite a quite a while. Um, and it's like with some distance, looking back at paparazzi culture of the '90s and and aughts, or like, yeah, it was real bad. <laughs> it was really really bad. It's still not great, but like. There have been some laws that have changed in the state of California that, uh, and I'm guessing other places as well that have had an impact on that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, oh, wow. What, what the feeding frenzy on, on celebrity in this country, uh, it's still not great, but it was particularly, uh, violent at that time. So interesting don't need to rush to see it unless the topic interests you is what i would say yeah i mean i am interested in this but i was also really i also wasn't like super keen to watch it because i had known that they basically talked to no one um yeah they couldn't get interviews with a lot of people yeah and my understanding is is that they also like no one would interview with them but they also maybe didn't reach out to a lot of people to ask for interviews like they say that they reached out to Britney Spears, mm-hmm. Jamie Spears, um Lynn Spears which is her father yeah. who is the conservator. Lynn Spears which is her mother mm-hmm. and a couple, so they had like a list of names at the end of people that they who declined to comment. Um but there are certainly more that they, they didn't. I don't know that they reached out to Diane Sawyer. I don't know. They may have a right. person named Matt Lauer. There's some of these other people. I don't know if they reached out to them. Right. So that, well, that kind of makes me go, oh, this is just, this is maybe interesting reporting, aggregated reporting, but I don't know how much you're going to do new here either that yeah. I can't do on my own um, just with a web search and a little bit of free time. Um, which I have plenty of because there's this pandemic. <laughs> so while this would be something I'd be interested in, like I, after I kind of saw that they just never didn't really have an opportunity to talk to anyone, I just kind of went, I'm just going to wait on this maybe because I don't know that there's going to be a lot of fresh thinking or fresh content here really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, I'm not, I don't disagree. Yeah. So I think you're good. Um, now I, because partially because I watched this, I did not watch the Black Lightning premiere yet. I will be catching up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so was that? Did I make a mistake there? Should I have watched this instead? The Book of Reconstruction, Chapter One. Yeah, I don't know that you made a mistake. Um, I think that this premiere is relatively fine, pretty flat, all things told. Um, we get a year. We get a year's time skip between the finale of season three and the beginning of season four. Um, But everyone's still in really bad spaces so much so that you kind of go, maybe not a year, (laughs) maybe six months would have been more appropriate uh, because a year feels like a little bit of a stretch um, in terms of where everyone is. But also the Pierce's are just not the most well-adjusted group, especially after the events of like seasons two and three. Uh, so Jefferson's just in a really, really bad place, but he's principal again. Um, Lynn's still in deep denial about her addiction. She's still using powers, uh, to give herself, she's still using injections to give herself powers in an effort to keep Freeland safe, um, from, uh, 
of Gravedigger ever coming back. And then Anissa and Jennifer are just basically operating on their own now. And um, Jennifer is getting increasingly reckless um, with her powers, given that she's more powerful than anyone. Um, the larger kind of conflict that's setting up here is twofold. One, because Henderson is no longer here to kind of run interference, even if he didn't know he was running interference, the cops are sort of on to Jefferson as Black Lightning. Um, so that's going to be a thing going forward. The other big thing, and I am excited about this because I think that the show is too long, slow played this. Tobias is now much more front and center as an antagonistic force in the show. He has resurfaced uh, as of the beginning of this episode in Freeland as philanthropist bent on rebuilding the city following the Markovian invasion. Um, so he is out, as he says, to make Freeland great, great again. Um, yes, listeners, Kate's doing an eyebrow. Um, so I'm really hopeful that Tobias is going to be much more front and center because he's always been like in the wings waiting for a chance to come out. Um, while there have been other bad guys circulating, I feel like, but this, I feel like is going to put him at the core of the show, the crux of the show anyway, uh, for when Gravedigger isn't here just yet again, because Wayne Brady has been contracted to come back. So, yeah, so we know Gravedigger is coming back, um, but I'm just waiting for that to happen, but I'm excited about Tobias hopefully being much more front and center. Um, as opposed to operating from the shadows. So hopefully, hopefully. Um, so the episode's very much a place setter for what we're going to do. Um, there wasn't like, like I said, you can take or leave this episode, but to get a, the, the lay of the land, you need to watch this. But you did not make the wrong choice. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like, it, it, that feels very much like a, okay, final season. It's time to bring him back up. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, I look forward to having thoughts next week once I've had a chance to see it. Our last episode is WandaVision on a very special episode. And we did hear from Vince this week, uh, who is like the opposite of us about WandaVision, who was bored with episode episode four. Yeah. And then really liked episode four. We're in the minority about episode four, though, you and I. (laughs) That's okay. It's okay because we're right. We are right. We're Uh, very right. (laughs) <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Um, well, and you know, because what Vince said is like, you know, finally something relevant to, to MCU Phase 4. I'm like, yeah, I'm not at the movie theater. I don't care about MCU Phase 4. I want to watch the Wanda show, and you know. so But that's how a lot of people are. How Vince is watching it is the way a lot, and you could argue the majority um, of people are watching it. It's how a lot of smart people I know are watching the show. Um, I listen to the Triple Click podcast, which is a video game podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the hosts was just like, yeah, no, I was really bored by the first three episodes. But then episode four, I got to it. And I just went, this is what the show is about. Yes. And I just went, this is not what the show is about. The show is about grief. <laughs> the show is about pain and loss. The show is about grief. Listen, I know Scrubs did this already. Yeah. But the show is about grief, everyone. It is not about the multiverse, <laughs> even though. It is also about the multiverse. Yeah, but it's not not about the multiverse. It has it has Marvel fever. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it is a yeah. it is a show about grief and loss. 
Um, and I think that really comes through really heavily in on a very special episode by design. Like the entire episode is about loss and not being able to undo it and being in denial about the fact that you have kind of undone it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what did you think about this episode? Because I really, really liked it um, a lot. But before we get to like the end, what did you think about this episode? Yeah, I liked it. I liked, uh, you know, we're getting more with Agnes, which I think is is great. Of course, Catherine Hahn is fantastic. Um, I thought that they did a good job with their balance of back and forth between in the show and out. I thought the timing of that, you know, and then the, uh, just the runtime of those segments worked really well. Um, uh, Vince is a very important question. Why isn't anyone bringing Darcy a coffee? Yeah, no. She seems to be a renowned scientist. Her time is valuable. Just send some goon fetching her what she wants. And I hard agree yeah. with you there, Vince. Um, the, yeah, the, the family ties of it all, I thought was delightful. I really liked, of course, the set and the wardrobe and all of that um and the couple like so mcu hat on um we don't know that wanda's controlling everyone we know she is controlling everyone so that could be agnes that could be somebody else it could be it could also be wanda um and certainly and also because we we get the sense that she's she's controlling um maria but Maria came in later, right? And and also Wanda was protecting her as she sent them sent her back out, right? So that could be a separate thing. Um, I I, thought, I think the what the way that um okay, the performances tend to be can continue to be excellent, um, and watching Vision push Wanda was really effective. I I like just the the balance of the performance, I guess, from Olsen. Because Wanda knows that this can't sustain. And she knows, like... And she's like, well, maybe we shouldn't have to hide. It's just like there's a desperation to that um, that comes through without being on the nose. So I, th- I think it's just the performances, the writing is very good, and I'm excited for what's going to come next. Yeah. Um, so I'm in agreement with you. I think that the balance of the stuff in Westview and then all the sword and cannon stuff works really well. Um, it's the right amount for what I want, which is a lot more focus on Westview and less on sword if only because sword doesn't give me anything sword sword is reactive they are not revelatory they are not proactive they are increasing they are very reactive by design um and everything happened in Westview is both reactive but also proactive in how things are crumbling around Wanda and so that dramatically is much more interesting to me than answering various questions or filling in blanks. Uh, so that is that I think this episode does a really great job of balancing that. Um, to your point about the performances, I think you're also really spot on in terms of what's happening with Elizabeth Olsen, who's very good in this episode on a couple of different levels, including the ways that she's basically like code switching from how she's talking when she's on the show to the fact that her Sokovian accent is now back in full force when she's talking to sword, not quite full force, but it's almost like Ultron levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. I love that because the accent wanders in and out, but the fact that it's coming out here in this moment of, I need you all to step back because this is, this is my home. I think really speaks to how much she's burrowed inside herself that the accent is now full force out again. I love that as from an acting choice, 
from a directorial perspective, I love it. I think it's great. Um, even if the accent's still kind of silly. Um, but I still like it. Um, but also just this episode and this show in general, but this episode in particular, just kept reminding me how good of an actor Paul Bettany is because I legitimately kind of forgot about it. Um, yeah. His... His performance in the confrontation at the end of the episode as Wanda is trying to end the episode. Uh, so we've got the credit, the fake credits rolling and Vision refusing to allow the episode to end. Um, Benny's ability to hit anger, horror, and sorrow, but also like this heavy degree of empathy all mixed into his just what are you doing? What are you doing to these people? What are you doing to me? What are you doing to you? I think it's just really rich. A lot of that's in the writing, but a lot of it is also just in Bettany's ability to really, and this is something I was talking about with someone else, the fact that Bettany plays all of this super straight in the same way like Alfred Molina played all the stuff in Spider-Man 2 very straight, which is why like we all point to Alfred Molina's performance as Dr. Octopus as one of the really good comic book movie performances. And here he's just a guy who doesn't understand what's happening and all the robot mindstone MCU stuff is secondary to the fact of this is a person who is scared for himself, for all these people around him, and for the person that he loves. So when you take away all the fantastical stuff, it makes the fantastical much more impacting so much so that when they rise up in the air to fight each other, it hits a lot differently than if you felt like that was the build as opposed to the startlement type of thing. So I just, I really like this episode and I really like the performances. Um, and I think that leads nicely into the knock and us getting uncle jesse <laughs> um how how did you how did you feel about that um were you familiar have you have you watched these these x-men movies oh yeah no i have not but i but i was familiar um i mean it's been long enough and also pietro was only in one movie uh that and I'd seen on Twitter because I tried to avoid yeah. stuff, but you know I couldn't watch right away. So I knew that that picture showed up, and uh, so I so I just my brain just glided over Evan Peters uh, as you know. So because I'm not familiar with the X Men Apocalypse movies where you know he plays that character, but the fact that um, they brought in a different actor I think is really fun and certainly will have ramifications. Um, you know, for who is he actually, and you know. Uh, will we see the actual actor from Wanda's? No, absolutely not. Reality? There's no way we're seeing Aaron Taylor Johnson. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but then what does that mean? And there's certainly a reason for it. So like, um, of course Darcy's all of us. <gasps> she recast Pietro. Like delightful. Yeah. Um, so so there's there's just there's a lot there's a lot that's there. They're having fun. They're also splitting open their multiverse. I right. would assume. Yeah. Um, which is what the MCU fans will be really excited about. Uh, so I'm sure we'll get more in the next episode. But I thought it was handled well. I thought the performances were really great. And, I, and you know, it's, again, a further indication that Wanda has a lot of control. She doesn't have total complete control. control. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, MCU hat on, I like that phrasing. Um, this is really interesting. 
But at the same time, if it's just like a sly casting nod because everyone went, but what if we do this instead? Um, what if we get the guy who does TV regularly <laughs> as opposed to the guy who doesn't do TV? Um, what if we get him? Because he's played Pietro before. Um, a Pietro, anyway. Um, so either way, I think it's fine. Like, I like it. But also from, like, a stunt casting perspective of it's a television show. Of course, there's stunt casting. And there's a weird meta twist and all this sort of stuff. It all feels like television weirdly looping in on itself, which is one of the pleasures of this show anyway. Um, so to have him also appear basically from the 80s, which is the era we get introduced to him in in the X-Men franchise um, in Days of Future Past, to just like, again, there's all this fun meta-narrative type stuff that feeds into it. But if that's all it is, and this isn't like the beginning of breaking apart the multiverse, even though it almost certainly is, um, that's still cool. And I like it. Um, so yeah, no, it, it, it's fun and I enjoy it. And I'm very eager to see him as Uncle Jesse in the episode tomorrow, because I think that's going to just be a great deal of fun. Um, provided they can get out of the horror element that is steadily encroaching into the television programs. I'm very excited about that. Um, the only other thing I do want to say is that I did watch like a mid-season trailer for the show, and we do get a Modern Family riff. <laughs> okay. Um, Called it. So I'm there very excited about that because there's some stuff from her talking, address, doing the direct address um, interview type stuff. So I'm just like, yes, yes. I don't like Modern Family, but that was the only choice you could make. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it. And this does win my week in yes, TV. Yes, your week in TV. Yeah. Yeah. Now we'll take a break and listen to a trailer for Small Axe Mangrove and be back with our spotlight on the first episode, movie, installment, whatever. I think is what installment. people prefer that don't want to uh, slice that particular baby. <laughs> yeah, of, of Small Axe. We'll be right back after this. On Sunday, the 9th of August in North Kensington, a demonstration took place against the police, which degenerated into totally inexcusable violence. There may be some who believe that they have been the victim of injustice at the hands of the police. Others who, like parasites, feed on these beliefs and seek to turn them to their own advantage, deliberately creating hate and violence. These defendants are all guilty of the serious criminal offense. That was a trailer for Steve McQueen's Small Axe Mangrove, which is the first uh, film in TV movie episode thing, uh, two hour long, you know, filmed thing story um, in, uh, in, a, in a five, you know, 60, you know, one to two hour long film thing series of things that aired on the BBC and is available uh, also at Amazon uh, Prime. So 
we're calling it TV. And like, you know, there's a discussion is, you know, Steve, uh, Steve McQueen considers them films. Uh, so several of the various voting bodies consider them films. Um, also different ones consider them TV. And my thing is if it aired first on BBC in my brain, it's, it's counts as uh TV. So in my head, it's a TV movie. Um, and this follows the Mangrove Nine, the trial of the Mangrove Nine, which is a, you know, the whole, the whole like set of these films, uh, small acts follows, uh, is I guess an anthology film series that follow, follows different, um, from the sixties through the eighties in the UK following black rights movements, um, various, you know, points of time and things that happened. So this is about specifically the with, um, West Indian immigrants. Thank you. Yes, specifically yeah. with Indian immigrants in the UK, um, and so this is about a group of nine West Indian immigrants who were um, uh, beat up, harassed by the cops, and then arrested on trumped up charges um, and had to go to trial. And it follows the trial. Um, so I was not familiar at all with this history beforehand. Mm-hmm. The cast, of course, is terrific. It's you know, you know, Letitia Wright is the the big name, I guess, but like everybody's really terrific in this. And um, I thought it was really well done. There were some particularly striking moments and, um, and images. And uh, like the, the one that lingers with me is just a shot of a pot of like a, a colander that just lingers for so long. Um, it's really, yeah, it's, re- it's really well done. Steve, the Steve McQueen fella, he's pretty good at what he does. Um, there's a reason for all the, you know, awards and buzz and acclaim, but, uh, yeah. Did you know anything about this story beforehand? These, these actual people, um, you know, what did you know going in? What did you think of this movie? I knew just a little bit, um, about it. Uh, not a lot. Um, I just knew that the, their case in particular, uh, represented a major breaking point within the British judicial system. Um, and, so that's basically the extent of what I knew about it. I did not know about the context around it in which the police with no cause continue to raid this um, West Indian restaurant um, on just nonsense. And then that a number of people were arrested following a protest, but then were released because the judge found no cause. And then they, the prosecu- prosecuting prosecutors found cause or resubmitted to get people to get nine people on much more serious charges of inciting a riot and a fray, which is just fighting in public and Mm. that fighting in public that disturbs the peace to which my partner, I went, what other kind of fighting in public is there? (laughs) The very peaceable kind. (laughs) Is there a fighting in public that doesn't disturb anyone? The Midwestern Um, nice kind and the, and the Southern, the Southern kind. You guys are also very good at that down in Georgia. Yeah, that's just passive aggressiveness. Yeah. Uh, bless their hearts. <laughs> uh, so that that was the extent of what I knew about it, was just that this was a case that existed. It put forward a number, like, shook up the British judicial system to a certain degree. So I didn't know anything else going in. Um, but yes, this is very, very, very good. Um, it's been a long time since I've watched a courtroom drama. Uh, let alone one that is as compellingly constructed and performed as Mangrove is. Um, And I don't want to reduce it just to a courtroom drama, but so much of what happens in this movie is defined by the Old Bailey as like a seat of justice. 
versus the mangrove as a community seat. Um, that it's hard not to just like think about how the, the show, the show, the movie provides a microcosm of both of those impulses in these two institutional places, even if the mangrove is very new to the street that it is on, it very rapidly becomes the place in the same way that the old Bailey is the place. Um, And so the ways in which McQueen um, and uh, who else wrote this? Alistair um, Sedonis um, balance all of that um, in the script, I think is deeply, deeply, deeply effective. Um, and so I just, I really appreciated the care and the craft that went into this. Yeah. You know, and not being familiar with the history, you know, I was watching the end. I was like, I mean, narratively, this could easily go either way. <laughs> and it uh-huh. would be, it would be, a, it would be a historical, very significant and uh, very worthy story to, to tell. It's like choose to, telling this format and everything regardless of which way it went the the findings went um so i I was like surprised because usually the based on true um you know the outcome uh going in or like it it's with an assumption that you do and it's you know the intended audience in the uk probably do know yeah hopefully may or may not um, yeah, no, it depends. Like, um, Letitia Wright was just, did not know who um, Althea Jones Leconte was, uh, who she plays in this movie, because, and she said, like, it, it's not in any of my textbooks. It wasn't yeah. in any of the textbooks I had. Yeah. Um, so, so it was, it was an interesting, because the, the thing I kept thinking back to, of course, was a very English scandal. Um, mm-hmm. And with that one, uh, I knew the outcome. And so it gave a slightly different feel to some of for my viewing experience. Um, watching it with that but um with this one it was very they did a very good job of capturing sort of the otherness of the especially when you have some of the the defendants representing themselves because you know watching uk tv and even just something like law and order uk right um there is an energy to those court proceedings right Right. with with like the little wigs on top of the hair and like all that stuff and so having um this group especially because it's nine defendants all at once right and they they did a really good job with the performances and the writing and the even just like the staging the costuming that sort of a thing to to make the mangrove nine feel very um out of place in what the the system and what the old bailey is supposed to be and that kind of thing. So it was really impactful, I thought. Uh, and the, I mean, the performances are excellent across the board. Not knowing what was going to happen at the end uh, really, you know, gave a lot more suspense for me. Because I so like now knowing that I could go back and watch it and I could like get a kick out of some of the things, like some of the moments when um, like when the... <laughs> the one moment in the trial where they're just the officer is droning on about something completely unrelated. And the one woman just like, Oh my God, no, I can't take it. And it's so boring. You've been just like, he's not affiliated with the case when he just stands up and just starts yelling because they're all bored out of their skulls. Um, because it's been so long, you know, you can see the like they indicate to the viewer. It's okay to be entertained here because the, the, the lawyer we like, is kind of chuckling to himself. Um, but I just couldn't even do that. I was like, yeah, you're chuckling to yourself and all because it's funny. But also, like, 
you can't like this is too tense. I'm too stressed out, man. Um, and, and likely that just kind of won them over with the jury who is thinking the same thing, you know, why this person wasn't even there that day. Why am I listening to them list their commendations? Um, but yeah, it's, it was, it was just an interesting viewing experience from that because of that tension. I thought they handled it really well. And the, again, you know, it's the theme of uh, several episodes. We talked about this, uh, or several, several things we talked about in this episode of the podcast, um, is the balance between the courtroom stuff, the family stuff, the background for the characters. Um, I liked that we got a little bit of information at the very end, but we didn't get, like, I was expecting several more title cards, like at the end of information of like what everybody did after that. Um, and, you know, we don't get that, but we do get uh, a little bit more about Critchlow, who is, you know, our main character, I would say. Um, did you have other scenes like that that stood out to you that really are performances you wanted to mention? Well, and I think um, Critchlow is a good person to point to first, because I think that Sean Parks is really great as um, Critchlow. Um, that's a very difficult role, I think, of playing that kind of charismatic everyman who does not want any of that and is in fact actively angry about being put into this position because it is not something he wants um until much later on it becomes something that he realizes that he needs to do um but i like the ways in which you get a sense of his refusal to engage in the politics of it the man just wants to run a restaurant um and serve serve the food that will make people in his neighborhood happy. Um, and so watching that tension play out, um, but also seeing the ways in which that ideologically more radical, air quote, um, folks view him as a person to lead, but don't know how to make him lead, basically, I think works really well from a writing perspective. And then I think that Parks is just all knife's edge always on a knife's edge in this and so when he gets those moments of semi-relaxation you just kind of feel all this tension leave and that's really well performed i think um but the thing but mangrove is well performed across the board um malachi kirby is really great as dark as how um i had really liked kirby in um, the Roots remake from like five years ago. He played Kuta Kinte in that, and he was very, very good in that as well. Um, so I think that there's a lot here, but your point about the balance I think is also really important because that is the real kind of key, not only on a humor level, but also just on a release level, on a you need small moments of victory, even if they're just like little things like um shoot um being able to see the restaurant open before it gets raided being able to see that street festival and nothing happen at the street festival um because you're waiting for something to happen at the street festival but nothing happens at the street festival um it happens later but it doesn't happen at the street festival um so i think that there's a lot of really good things there and the other thing that i really appreciate that is that the movie does not hold your hand when it comes to the demonstration either. Um, and I think that that's really key in how we approach like one of the, one of the defendants going like, yeah, no, I was there, but then 
I left with my kid. And we actually see him leave. We watch him peel off from the crowd. Um, but we don't signpost it as an important thing until like 40 minutes later. Um, so that the view through the um, observation band that gets no explanation when it happens. Talk about a long walk <laughs> yeah. for a really good joke, but also for a really beautiful way to illustrate everyone is lying to you. And so the ways in which all of that gets baked in is really deaf. And I mean, you, you joked about, Hey, yeah, that Steve McQueen guy is onto something here. Um, but this is, I really like McQueen as a director, but this is also one of, I think, the lightest touches that I've seen him direct something in. Um, a lot of this really reminds me about, um, did you watch Widows? Uh, no, I, I, I wanted to, but I didn't get around to it. If you get a chance to watch it, watch it. It's really great. Um, there's a scene in it in which an, a conversation takes place in a car and you're paying such close attention to the conversation you don't notice what's actually happening around the car, which is actually the important thing that's happening. And I think that that's the kind of misdirection that this movie does on the whole across the board is you're paying really close attention to certain things but then you don't see the other things until it all comes out in court. And that's one of those things about a really well-executed courtroom drama as well, right? That the pieces kind of come together for the audience as they present a case. And so I think that there's a lot of really good construction, both on the writing level, but also on a directorial level of not signposting, but then not even flashing back but making sure that you were paying attention enough and you remember it. So I think that there's a lot of like, there's a lot of light touches here that McQueen, I think as a director is becoming more and more comfortable with. Um, so I'm really curious to watch the rest of these um, in the small acts series of television episode films, question mark. <laughs> um, like, I mean, it's just, for me, it's, difficult to figure out i agree with you that this aired on the bbc but it premiered at the new york film festival and it was supposed to premiere at the Cannes film festival and specifically mangrove and lover's rock uh were supposed to premiere at Cannes, um but then premiered at the new york film festival instead but plenty of television shows now like are if not in competition they do a circuit right they yeah. do a circuit at the film festivals now um and this all gets really squishy, but this was always intended to air on BBC One or BBC Two. Like, McQueen's whole thing with making this story about Black people in Britain was always going to be on BBC One or BBC Two uh, when it was announced in, like, 2015. Um, so, with you... It may be a series of films, even if they're only an hour long. There are plenty of, it's, it's just a yeah. two-reeler. It's a two-reeler. It's yeah. just, that's what it is. Um, but there are movies that were made for television. They just happen to be made by one of the very gifted film directors of his generation. Um, but and they, they star were... some movie stars. But... Yeah, but not like a lot of movie stars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they 
they star a couple and people who have done movies, but people who have also done a lot of TV work. Um, so for me, they're TV. Um, but it's a weird question to sort of ask, but it's, it's very much just a series, an anthology series of television films for me. Um, and that's okay. We should be okay yeah. with that. Yeah. But this is also like a very keen reminder to remind everyone Twin Peaks season three is not a movie. It's not a so. movie. Oh my God. <laughs> it's obviously not a movie. And anyone, including David Lynch, who feels so strong that it is a movie, like, okay, then you watch it all in one sitting without stopping. You can have, you're allowed to have three intermissions. You cannot have more than three intermissions. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. When you do it all in one sitting, you're not doing cinema. You're doing anti-cinema. You're doing yeah. Andy Warhol type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing sleep. You're doing empire. Um, you're doing eight hours of a single shot of something. You're doing anti-cinema. You're not doing cinema. And those are very different impulses. Yes. It's okay to do television, people. It's okay. It's okay, yes. it's okay for TV to be TV and for tv to have a movie on it in fact there was this time i don't know if you know this kate there was a time when a bunch of movies were just made for tv and released like weekly like you don't say i don't say huh like yeah regularly like at certain times of the year there would be a spate of them to the point where there's a category at the emmys and the golden globes specifically for movies intended to just be high, high, like high-profile prestige films, but that were on TV, yeah, it's wild, right? Wow, that is wow, that's crazy, that's ridiculous. How I know what what a, what a throwback then that this is. <laughs> just to complicate all this further, I just want to remind everyone that the original Twelve Angry Men with um, Henry Fonda was originally supposed to be on TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they did a bunch of teleplays. Like, go back to when, like, TV was, like, live, like, basically theater, right? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, then we can have discussions yeah. of theater as a TV. But yeah, that's a conversation for another time. Um, this is really, really a terrific movie. And yes. uh, I was very glad to watch it. I would not have watched it if we didn't do it for the podcast. So thank you, Noel, for, for having this idea for us to watch this one. We we are intending currently listeners to work our way through these. Like we'll space them out a little bit. Um, we'll see, you know, what happens. Maybe a bunch of other stuff will come up that we'll feel like we need to cover first. And we certainly don't want to just like do one every single, uh, every single week, but um, for right now, but uh, I'm looking, I'm very much looking forward to the next one. I already was excited about watching these, but I'm even more excited to, you know, especially, I mean, I assume they're all based on true. Is that correct? Um, with the exception of Lover's Rock, um, which is completely fictionalized, my understanding is, is I believe all of them are, whatchamacallit, um, based on historical fact. I know that Red, White, and Blue is, um, which is the John Boega one, um, which I've heard really great things about. Um, but I'm pretty sure, I know Lover's Rock is not education might be fictional hang on let me look so yeah no lover's rock is the only fictional one in the series um everything else is based on events for people yeah 
I'm excited to, to learn some more history that I don't know. And uh, yeah, and certainly I feel like I'm in very good hands, very capable hands. So looking forward to it. Well, that will wrap up the episode for this week. If you show notes, you can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can find our M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed over on Apple Podcasts. And we're also on Stitcher. Uh, we'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And then of course we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? at Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 